Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Those of you who are familiar with my garden radio shows here in Northern California, which I've been doing since 1982, might be wondering, well, what's the reason for this podcast? Well, even though I'm fond of saying all gardening is local, Garden Basics with Farmer Fred will be reaching out to gardeners wherever they may happen to be with garden tips and growing advice that apply just about anywhere. We'll strive to explain garden jargon in terms anyone can understand. And we'll be talking to garden experts from throughout the world who will share their vast plant and soil knowledge with us. And we'll be answering your gardening questions. Think of us as your one-room schoolhouse for growing your backyard garden of fruits, vegetables, and oh yeah, flowers that attract the garden good guys, beneficial insects, and pollinators. And we'll have some fun too. Let's get started. Welcome to episode two of Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. In this episode, we talk about a garden project that you can do indoors, and you'll be growing some of the healthiest food there is in a sunny window using easy steps that everyone in the family will enjoy taking part in. Plus, we talk about how to grow blueberries. That's a fiber-rich, sweet taste treat that's easy to grow, even if all you have is a small front or backyard patio. Also, we'll give you details on how you can participate in the show by sending us your garden questions. We've got some quick tips to share with you, and we're going to do it all in less than 30 minutes. Have you tried microgreens yet? It's some of the healthiest food you can eat, and basically it's just baby vegetables that you can grow on your kitchen counter as long as there's some bright light around. We're talking with Gail Potauer, Sacramento County Master Gardener out here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, and microgreens are exactly what that description is, isn't it? They're, these are just small, germinated vegetables and herbs. Exactly. As long as the vegetable or herb or even flowers are edible to begin with, you can grow any any cool season crop, any herb that's edible, uh, nasturtiums as an edible flower could be grown. And it takes 10 days, two weeks, depending on the variety you're growing, to go from seed to your first harvest. And you grow them in a potting soil or a seedless uh, mix. That's how they're differentiated between sprouts, because sprouts are grown in water. These are grown in some sort of a soil. So you can use that soilless seed starting mix in maybe a pre-purchased container that has several little containers that you could start the seeds in or but you have a unique way of doing it i save all my deli containers from from the deli in the grocery store something a salad bar came in or whatever and i just am sure that there's drainage holes in the bottom if they're not already there i punch them in with an ice pick and then i can use the cover that goes on that deli container to cover the seeds initially and then i use it as a saucer after that but i'm sort of cheap and lazy and I don't like to um, throw anything away so I reuse them. Be sure that they're scrupulously clean so I always wash them in soap and water and even a little bit of bleach if I've used them um, before with soil and they work fine. And the, the purpose of those drain holes, drainage is very important when you're starting the seeds. Absolutely and what I found with microgreens is I um, start them in a moistened soilless mix, plant the seeds, you don't have to plant them deeply, some I just sprinkle on top and kind of push them in 
and I use bottom heat just because I have it around and I had arugula that came up in one day and mustard came up in two days my beets came up in two days was, and then once they have grown a little bit maybe a quarter of an inch or so then I no longer water from above because they're so fragile it tends to smash them down so I bought a uh, water from the bottom. I'll put them in a little tub of water and let it soak up through the soil. So How long will you keep them in that little pot of water? Um, just until they're saturated, maybe half an hour or so. Then take them out and let them drain. Mm-hmm. And then put them back um, under the lights or in a window, wherever you have them. Because they grow so quickly, they don't really need a lot of light. Um, if you're growing out a tomato transplant, you need to have good light for them for um, several weeks. But microgreens grow so quickly, they don't need to be under lights a long time. Now, we should point out tomatoes are not part of the microgreen list. No, because while the tomato fruit is edible, the um, plants are toxic. And so just be sure that whatever vegetable or herb or flower you're planting is edible. And we should point out, too, that when you said you apply bottom heat, that doesn't mean you're sitting on the plants. That means that you've purchased a a propagation mat. Right. I do have a propagation mat. Or you could put them um, in a warm spot on top of your refrigerator or wherever. Cool season crops like arugula and mustard and beets that I have growing right now don't really need the bottom heat. I do it just to get them off to a quick start. And we should also point out is you don't have to cook these. You eat them raw. Right. You do eat them raw. They're so fragile. If You'd sprinkle them on a dish when it's done, or I put them in salads, use them in place of lettuce on a sandwich or something like that. I don't like some of the uh, cool season crops, mustards and arugulas. I don't care for that, but I like them as microgreens because you get just a little bit of, you don't get a whole mouthful of arugula. Now, what I found amazing in your research, you found that the cotyledons serve well as microgreens. The cotyledons are the initial leaves that come out on any right. seedling, and then it starts forming new leaves. And you are basically advising people that when you harvest the microgreens, it could be at the cotyledon stage or at the first leaf stage. Correct. The uh, microgreens are eaten when they're very young. You don't need them to get much taller than the first um, true leaf because in some varieties, depending on the vegetable, can start to get a little woody or a little tough. So um, that's why they're great to grow. In 10 days or two weeks, they're ready. And you just snip them off just above the soil line. Yeah, you uh, don't want to pull them out, do you? No, with the scissors, just cut them off. You don't want to get soil on the part you're going to eat so that you just cut them off give them a haircut and then you can kind of rinse them off and store them in the refrigerator maybe just for a few days best use them right after you cut them but however i did just find out i had grown some arugula for a class i taught in january and i came home and i had a whole flat of arugula left i stuck it in my refrigerator and they lasted a month in there i don't know if all microgreen varieties will do that but the arugula happened to hold up really well and this is an ongoing process so you would be replanting in various containers what every few days right you could do that um I use small containers, like the small deli container, and so it doesn't, that will last me maybe a week. And so 
I don't want to have a whole glut of the same thing all at one time. So I'll stagger my plantings so that um, I can just continue my harvest over a long period of time. The convenience of, of going to a, a nursery or a big box store and getting one of their seed starting kits, those trays are usually maybe 12 by 8 or maybe a little bit longer and a little bit narrower. But they have maybe 32 to 64 cells per tray, which means you can start a wide variety of microgreens in that. Correct. I've found with using those sorts of cell containers, it's a little tougher to harvest them because you sort of have the side of each of the cell kind of in the way. So I like to use a flat, something, an open, like a a flat that's six by ten or something so you have a you don't have any um, obstruction when you go to harvest them like a tray that uh, you might find at a nursery that's holding uh, several four inch pots right yeah something like that you want to just have at least a couple of inches of depth for the soil mm-hmm. you don't want it too shallow but it doesn't need to be really deep either the right. roots aren't going to be in there that long all right now let's get to the meat of the matter what microgreens are best in, in your estimation you've grown a lot of different uh, vegetables and herbs for microgreens, which ones do you like the best? They're basically all cool season crops, so beets, mustard, arugula, lettuce. You could do chives. I, um, You can do some herbs. Basil is good. Uh, parsley, if you like the taste of parsley. Um, those are the ones I basically use, cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, and I tend to use up my old seeds. If I have a package of broccoli or cabbage that I'm not going to grow anymore, I'll use those for microgreens. Even Brussels sprouts that don't do that well in our climate, you can use those for microgreens. Now, you say cool season crops, but in reality, you could grow those year-round on your kitchen counter because you're harvesting them at the cotyledon or the first leaf stage. Correct. Um, I said that to differentiate between warm season crops, which would be corn and beans and tomatoes and peppers. Um, I've also heard, I haven't tried them, that peas, if you did peas, they're good. It's pea shoots are edible. And um, so it's it's what would be classified as a cool season crop, basically. You had something very unique in your deli containers because you tend to overplant on the edges, don't you? Right. And um, I didn't mention, you don't follow the seed package spacing recommendations. You sow them very thickly. So in a, a container that's six by six, six, I'll use up a half a half a package of seeds. So you want to have them really thick, no thinning required, and they're in the ground so, in the soil, so, so short period of time. You want them thick. You want to be able to cut off a handful. I guess the easy way to plan it would be you have your tray or del- deli containers or whatever, and you, maybe you fill those containers maybe three-quarters of the way with that soilless mix. Mm-hmm. You sprinkle the seeds on top and then maybe cover them with a thin layer of more of a, that soilless mix. Exactly. That's what I do is I fill it maybe a quarter of an inch or so from the top, put in my seeds. I sow them very thickly, thicker than you'd think you'd want to, and then I just sprinkle in really lightly a little more of the potting soil or if the seeds are really tiny you maybe don't have to do that at all and give them a little watering and cover them and let them go well let's talk a little bit more about that watering now after you've planted the seeds and you want to keep that seed bed moist are you misting it i actually have a little apparatus that screws on an old water bottle it has a lot of little holes like a shower head so it gives it a fine not a mist but it's a not a hard stream of water and i use that initially but then when i cover it i really don't need to water it again until they've sprouted and say in my case 
case I had things come up in a day or two. And then once they sprouted, take the lid off, or you could use plastic wrap or whatever, and um, then put them under lights, and they'll be ready to harvest in another week. And then you water it from the bottom. From the bottom, yeah. Once they, um, I still water from the top maybe uh, the first few days after they come up, but when they start getting tall, watering from the top is going to knock the plants over. So then I do bottom watering. I've saved the best for last. The nutritional value of microgreens is amazing. In your research, you found that it is multiple times nutritionally better than a full-grown plant. Right. Some sources in their research have said that they can be from 4 to 40 times more nutrients in the microgreens than in the mature crop, depending on what you're growing. And I grow them just because I think they're kind of fun and they taste good. But it's good to know that I'm also getting some added nutrients there. Could you make a whole salad out of it or just use it as a garnish? I use it as a garnish. Say if you liked an arugula salad, you could make a whole salad of the arugula sprouts. That's not my thing. I like a little bit of it on there. So I always add them to salads. But you could put them on omelets or in crepes or... Say in sandwiches or on sprinkle them on soup. I mean, kind of unlimited. Gail Potter knows her vegetables, even the teeny tiny ones. Microgreens, give them a cry. Gail Potter, Sacramento County Master Gardener, out here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Thanks for talking to us about microgreens. Thanks, Fred. Here on the Garden Basics Podcast, we want to answer your garden questions. A couple of ways you can do that. Give us a call, 916-292-8964. That number again, 916-292-8964. You can either leave a message or you can text that number as well. Be patient. There are a lot of rings before we pick up. Another way is email. Send your garden questions to fred at farmerfred.com. That's fred at farmerfred.com. One benefit of email is you can attach a photo of a bug or a plant that you're trying to identify. We're looking forward to hearing and seeing your questions. And thanks for listening to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. I appreciate all your support and all your comments. From the Garden Basics mailbag, Norma asks about a very tasty backyard fruit. She says, we're considering trying to grow some blueberries. My husband has read up on them and also watched videos on the subject. Our problem is we can't find anyone who can tell us which varieties will grow best where we live. Any suggestions will be appreciated. Well, as far as a general rule, Norma, the development and spread of southern highbush varieties of blueberries more than 40 years ago have allowed gardeners in warmer states to enjoy the tangy flavor and high nutrition of this fruit that the people who live in the northern tier of states have been enjoying for decades, for centuries really, uh, of the northern highbush blueberry varieties. The southern highbush blueberries were bred to take hot summer days and mild winters, and they grow on bushes that get from three to six feet tall. There have been a lot of taste tests around here with blueberries. Maybe you might want to try one of these that I'm about to mention. Like Georgia Gem, it's a taste test winner. This bush gets about five to six feet tall and ripens early in the blueberry season. And blueberry season depends on where you live here in California. Georgia Gem matures in May, where you live, and maybe a little bit later. The fruit is described as having a spicy, sweet blueberry flavor. Another favorite is called Misty. It's a four-foot-tall southern highbush favorite. The fruit is exceptionally sweet, and it's uh, one of my favorites as well. 
Then there's Reveille, which gets five to six feet tall. It produces mid-season blueberries, described as having a great blueberry flavor. One of the larger blueberries is called Star, and that's a taste test winner, too. The flavor is described as pleasant and sweet. The plant has upright growth to about six feet tall, and it produces its fruit early in the season as well. Some other southern highbush varieties that I've grown that I've had success with have included Cape Fear, Emerald, Jewel, Jubilee, O'Neill, Sharp Blue, South Moon, and Sunshine Blue. But don't overlook some of the northern highbush blueberries that are favorites of northern tier states. Despite their requirement for more winter chill and cooler summers, some have proven remarkably adaptable to warmer areas of the country. Northern highbush varieties that have had success here have included Blue Ray, Blue Crop, Duke, Jelly Bean, and Ozark Blue. I've grown a lot of blueberries in my time, and I'll tell you, when it comes to picking them, you really want to pick big blueberries. So which are the plants that produce the largest berries? Some of the biggest include Emerald, Gulf Coast, Jewel, South Moon, Star, and Jelly Bean. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that blueberries are easy to grow if all you have is a backyard or front yard patio. And it is. You can grow them in containers. In fact, they probably do better in containers if your soil isn't naturally acidic. Now, on the East Coast and in the northern tier of states, acid soil, where the pH is about 5.5 to 6, is normal. But out west, the soils are more alkaline. Their pH is above 7. So using an acid soil mix really benefits those of you that have alkaline soils like here in California. Oops, I just used one of those unfamiliar terms, pH. What does pH mean? Well, pH refers to the soil acidity or alkalinity, and that affects plant growth because it influences the chemical availability of nutrients in the soil for uptake by plants. And you might still be asking, well, what is pH? Well, everybody agrees that the H stands for hydrogen. There is some disagreement about what the P stands for. You would think, oh, maybe percent hydrogen? Well, no. According to German chemists, they claim that it stands for the power of hydrogen. Ancient Romans would say it's a Latin phrase, pondus hydrogeni, meaning the quantity of hydrogen, or perhaps the capacity of hydrogen. The British, meanwhile, say it's nothing more complicated than potential hydrogen. Let's just call it pH and move on, okay? Blueberries grow well in large containers, and you know the soil pH is easier to control when you mix it yourself. And here's a good mix to try. Use a one-third mix of Camellia azalea potting soil, one-third peat moss, and one-third small bark, pathway bark. And throw in a handful of soil sulfur, too. That helps lower the pH to around 5.5. Now, peat moss can be kind of tricky to moisten and keep moist. So when you're working with peat moss, it's always a good idea to pre-moisten it before mixing it with the other ingredients. Blueberries are adaptable to sun or shade, and based on personal experience, blueberries grown in part shade do just fine. But I know people growing blueberries in full sun who enjoy them as well. Blueberries, though, need consistently moist soil. Just be sure the pot has good drainage. 
Now, if you live in a hot area, containers can heat up in the summertime, so place them where they can get some afternoon shade. What makes a good container? Well, the bigger the better, maybe a half barrel, or if you uh, are near a tractor supply store, you might try a cattle watering trough. Cut some holes in the bottom, paint it your favorite color on the outside, and you've got yourself a great place to grow blueberries for years and years. Feed blueberries with an organic fertilizer. Because blueberries are adversely affected by over-fertilization, the relatively lower nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium content of organic fertilizers is a safer bet. Apply during the blueberry growing season, which uh, could be from late winter through summer, depending on where you live. Now, if you want the most blueberries possible, grow several different blueberry varieties. That'll improve pollination and give you an extended harvesting season. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is posted as a podcast twice a week, usually on Tuesdays and Fridays, and every time we'll have a quick garden tip for you. This one is about the importance of thinning fruits and vegetables. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, late April and early May is a good time for planting many easy-to-grow vegetables from seed. That includes carrots, corn, cucumbers, eggplants, radishes, summer squash, and winter squash. Now, of course, it all depends where you live. If you live in a colder climate, it might be closer to Mother's Day or even the 1st of June that you might be doing this. Well, after everybody gets their seeds in, there's a problem. Because the emerging plants are small, many gardeners don't have the heart to thin them out to their proper spacing. The result? An undersized crop, greater incidence of pests and diseases, or too much of a good thing. For instance, squash, like zucchini. That's a perfect example. Now, if you've planted zucchini before, you know what I'm talking about. But how many of you have actually read the instructions on a seed package on how to plant zucchini? Well, here's the instructions found on a burpee seed packet. It says, sow one to two seeds of zucchini about 36 inches apart. Cover with one inch of fine soil. Firm lightly and keep evenly moist. Zucchini seedlings emerge in 10 to 14 days. Thin to one plant when seedlings have two sets of leaves. Well, I'm here to tell you that even hardened backyard farmers like myself tend to ignore those spacing instructions, let alone just keeping one zucchini plant. But every year it happens. Overwhelmed gardeners go on midnight runs during August, surreptitiously placing bags of oversized zucchini on neighbors' front porches. The bottom line basically is read and follow all planting instructions. They aren't kidding. Thinning also applies to your backyard deciduous fruit trees. If you live in a climate that allows you to grow apples, peaches, nectarines, plums, apricots, plum apricots, sometimes called pluots, and a lot more, well, they need a bit of tough love this month as well, and that's thinning the fruit. Now, it might break your heart to remove most of those future edibles in April or May, However, leaving six inches or more of space between each piece of fruit now will result in larger fruit and less stress on your trees this summer. You won't have to worry about broken branches that are going to start sagging and probably breaking as the overcrowded fruit gets heavier and heavier. Moreover, because of the lack of crowded and rubbing fruit, the remaining fruit is going to have better exposure and will ripen more evenly. The good news is there's plenty of food-producing backyard vines, shrubs, and trees that don't require crop thinning. Because of their small size, for example, cherries aren't usually thinned from backyard trees. 
Other small fruited plants like blueberries, strawberries, blackberries, raspberries, they don't require fruit thinning. However, they may need their older wood or runners removed annually after harvest. If you live in a climate that allows you to grow nut crops like almonds and walnuts, they don't need thinning. And if you live where you can grow citrus trees, oranges, lemons, mandarins, limes, and other fruit-bearing evergreen trees, they don't usually require much fruit thinning either. And one more final tip, if you want to suppress weeds, moderate soil temperature, preserve soil moisture, add several inches of an organic mulch beneath all your fruit trees to conserve precious soil moisture. And what's nice, too, as that mulch breaks down, it feeds the soil. But don't let that mulch touch up against the trunk of the tree. You can spread it throughout the entire understory of the tree, but keep it about two to three inches away from the trunk to avoid rotting issues. One of the reasons the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast came along is we are living in interesting times. There's no question about that. In this era of shelter in place, we have to stop and think a while about where we are all headed. What used to be normal may not be normal for much longer. And as we emerge from this coronavirus epidemic, as we move into more uncertainty, the only true certainty is You've got yourself, you've got your family, and I hope you have a yard to play in. I hope you have a backyard and a front yard where you can enjoy the benefits of gardening. It's good exercise. It clears your mind. It gives you something to do, something to take your mind off all the problems in the world and just have fun with Mother Nature. There are some things that we need to ask ourselves every day during this period of shelter in place. A very interesting series of daily quarantine questions showed up on the Internet one day. It was from the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. Brooke Anderson wrote these questions, and it's something to think about every day, and I do. Question number one, what are you grateful for today? I'm grateful for all the spring vibrant colors that I see in everyone's yard right now. Here it is mid-April and the plants are bursting forth in color and it's just a great sight. I'm grateful for that. Question number two, who are you checking in on or connecting with today? Have you called somebody? Have you said hello to a neighbor that you haven't said hello to in a long time? Have you smiled at somebody just to smile? I try to do that every day while walking the dogs. Question number three, what expectations of normal am I letting go of today? Well, there just may be more standing in line in our future. Once we emerge from this and until a vaccine is developed, there may be people wanting you to stand in line and they want to take your temperature before you walk into their building. Maybe we just got to get used to that and have to exercise a bit more patience. Question number four, how are you getting outside today? Well, gardening is the answer to that one. There's always something to do in the garden, especially in spring. And if you can't think of anything to do, I bet there's a weed or two you could be pulling. Question five, how are you moving your body today? Gardening exercises every point of the body. It can be aerobic. It can be anaerobic. It works muscles. It works bones. Just think of all the lifting and bending you have to do. It keeps you flexible. And question six, what beauty am I either creating, cultivating, or inviting in today? Well, we talked about having a microgreen garden inside. What better way to enjoy healthy food and watch it grow from the convenience of your own kitchen? Just some things to think about, but I hope you think about doing more gardening and learn to embrace the joy that it can bring you. 
Thanks for listening to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. I appreciate your support. I appreciate your comments. Maybe leave a comment at wherever you heard this podcast and maybe tell a friend. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. Be sure to subscribe. 